Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge. It's the official podcast of Bass Edge Television. Outdoors Dan here. And hey, did you know Bass Edge Television is on Wild TV in Canada right now? And we'll be back on the Versus Network starting January through June in 2008. Got my co-host Aaron Martin here with me. Aaron, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Dan. Well, I tell you what, I know you just got off a fishing tournament. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But tonight we've got Strin Series competitor Bill McDonald, and that sounds like a great interview. Yeah, it's going to be a great interview. He's going uh, going to address some factors that impact us all right now in the time of year that we're at, and that is uh, summertime fishing. Yeah, there you go. And then we're also going to hear from Bass Edge editor Steve Brigman. And how long have you known Steve? You know, I've known uh, Steve for a very long time. He's been a staple in the industry. He uh, started out with the Dallas Morning News. But uh, we just recently were able to add him to the Bass Edge team, so we're very, very excited about that. And then also going to uh, be following up with some interviews that he did out at ICAST. Well, that sounds exciting. Hey, and folks, don't forget, we're also going to answer a listener's email question tonight and give away a great prize to this week's lucky winner. And it's all right here on The Edge. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that son of a gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay after Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. All right, welcome back to the Edge Outdoors, Dan. Here, I've got my good buddy Aaron Martin alongside. You're part of starboard this week. You know, I, I question uh, where I'm at half the time, but this week I'm actually dry docked. Uh, just got back from the FLW Cup down on Lake Owachita in uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas, which was it was really just a great time. Wow. Now, how, now let's just get it out of the gate. How did you do? Did you, uh, did you finish you really, up? You Are we really going out to a big steakhouse? What are we doing? You really got to ask me that. No, I, I had a great time, but uh, unfortunately, um, you know, just was not able to to put anything together. Of course, I was fishing uh, as a co-angler because of the way that we qualified. Sure. Uh, my partner fished on the pro side. We won that ROT tournament back uh, in May on Table Rock, and I had the ability to to go as a co-angler. And I must say, you know, it's been a, a few years since I've been in that position. But my hats off to those to the co-anglers that went out there and did it because you're just faced with, you know, so many challenges that you've got to be able to go out and adapt to the, the type of fish that you're on. You never know from one day to the next the type of pattern. And, uh, you know, those guys really put on the show the co-anglers that ended up winning it. So great job to them. Uh, but it, it was just a great time. You know, during practice, had the ability to, to go ahead and take my boat down and had a couple good days in there, but they were dropping the, the uh, lake about four inches a day. Um, of course, it's predominantly a grass lake, and it was just really exciting to see uh, all the different patterns, you know, that was that was going on. And um, so, anyway, Scott Suggs, man, I tell you what, he just, he, he nailed them. And, uh, of course, he's a million dollars richer as of today. I had the ability to draw out, on that first day, I drew out Jack Wade, who made uh, made the cut, went into the top ten, and I think he walked away with $25,000 for 10th place. Hmm. But uh, i got a funny story to tell you on that. He was he was catching these, these uh, fish deep on a jig, and when I say deep, about 18 foot uh, to 20 foot of water around some trees in these grass beds that that came up where the grass topped out about three or four foot off the bottom and and he caught this one fish well when you catch those they they want to come up really quick plus you know you want to get them in the boat as quickly as possible long story short when he was bringing this fish in he was going to boat flip it just swinging into the to the boat without you know using a dip net well when he did the fish came off in midair so i grabbed the net and dove 
caught the fish, but the problem was I caught it, and of course he was happy. Well, when I was bringing the fish back in, and of course this happened in a matter of about you know a split second. Tried to miss the windshield on his boat, so I didn't knock the fish back out. Well, the momentum of that actually threw the fish back up in the air and launched it over the other side, and so it was kind of a easy come, easy go. But certainly he understood, and uh, it was just one of those those freak deals. So I had to tell one on myself there. Well, that's all right. That's a good experience. You yeah. know, you live and learn, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And I know people appreciate that stuff. Hey, you know what? We're in the heat of summer right now, and I, I know uh, I've been getting some callers on the radio show the last couple of weeks wanting to know top water lures early morning, late evening, what to, what to do. And I said, you know what? I've got my opinion from an amateur side, but I'll ask the A-man when I get him on the, the podcast. What, what do you suggest people throwing right now for top water? You know, top water is such, uh, in my opinion, such a reaction reactionary bite and i'm i'm a big fan really i break it down into three three baits one is going to be a buzz bait mm-hmm. which anytime that you're around any type of wood or you know rocks of where you can run that uh especially in dirty water uh that's that's going to be an excellent choice another choice uh, especially if you have any grass lily pads uh things like that is just that frog that rubberized frog and there's there's two different types one is going to be there's a couple different companies that make them uh, one is a ribbit the other one i think zoom makes one there's, but uh, it's just that rubber frog that uh, you rig on a five odd hook and then uh, the other one is the spro frog type that actually has a um, a rubber belly with uh, the skirting material that comes off the back uh, and then the final bait is going to be like a a, a stick bait kind of like a spook or a z-claw or something along those lines and any one of those three uh, i mean are just phenomenal normally i'll use the the frog and the the buzz bait in a little bit shallower water the spook that bigger bait you know that's great for working on schooling fish or when the fish are looking up coming out of deeper water because that's a little bit bigger profile mm-hmm. and um, so i think any of those three you can't go wrong with yeah i like using a frog in the middle of the day on pads and moss beds no no doubt and they're getting shade anyway no doubt yeah, but my my buzz bait at night is my favorite, man. There's just nothing to get your heart pounding when them fish boil up on them. Well, and speaking at night, I mean, you know, you want to talk about a just a you better have a strong heart when you're throwing top water at night because a you can't see it and all you hear is the explosion, and then you feel yeah. the tug on the end of the line. Yeah, that's that's neat though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Oh, it's phenomenal. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, listen, I know you guys have been just going ninety oh because I know we're doing the same thing on the hunting side and. Uh, right now, you guys are on TV in Canada on Wild TV. How's that been working out? It's been working very, very well, and we're we're so happy to uh, to have them aboard with us. And uh, again, it's just extending. We're getting to meet a, a lot of new people, getting a lot of emails and that sent in. So, just want to welcome them aboard, and uh, just love the opportunity to be able being able to share that experience. And of course, you know, we're right in the the midst of of getting season two launched off. We've got three down and. About ten more to go, so uh, I keep waiting for my invite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we were supposed to fish together too. Remember? Yeah, I, well, I knew that was gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just like to get on a TV show That's and right. be the cowboy or something. That's you know? right. Hey, you know what? Uh, we need to take a break. I can't believe it's over that time. And when we come back, we're going to be talking with Strin Series Pro Bill McDonald in about thirty seconds. What can you tell us about Bill? Oh, Bill, great guy, great guy. I mean, he just fishes the uh, the Strin Series, travels all over. But you know, this guy's a uh, is, is just a stick anywhere he goes, and he has some great information talking about fishing shallow in the sh- in the summertime, and the you know in the heat of the day, uh, and then also getting into some of the shallow crankings. Got great resources. Well, there you go. That sounds exciting, folks. Keep it right here on the edge. When we come back, we're going to have Strength Series Pro Bill McDonald for you right here on the edge. 
Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140 and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks MegaWare Keel Guard. All right, we are back on the edge and joined today by Bill McDonald from Indianapolis, Indiana. Bill, thanks so much uh, for being part of the edge. Hey, Aaron, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, you know, we're we're kind of in the midst of, of summer here. Uh, it's hot, <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot, I think there's a lot of uh, fallacy out there that, you know, when you get towards what's called those dog days of summer and, you know, as the heat picks up and that, uh, the fishing can can kind of turn off a little bit you know but there's there's really a lot of things that that can be done to to actually entice these bass into biting well i think and myself a lot of people decide that you have to go deep to catch fish when it gets hot out and myself i don't i stay shallow i mean extremely shallow and have, have been very successful in, in doing that well you know when when you're because you fish the string series right is that yes, correct sir. and um you know so you compete uh, pretty much all over the United States, but as you go from you know geographic region to geographic region, do you find that there's always shallow fish? I think there's shallow fish any time of the year that you go fishing. Um, I kind of relate to it just like uh, some people live on a hill, some people live in the bottom, some people live in town, and some of those fish you know relate to that shallow water all the time. I think uh, George Cochran has won the FLW championship and he's won the Bassmasters Classic and both of those he won in extremely shallow water in the dead of the summer. Well, and you know, you bring up a, a good point there. I mean, just returning from uh, from a watch at the FLW Cup, I mean, um, although there was multiple patterns going on, you know, we were catching fish, you know, on a frog on top water in the morning uh, and, and some there were some decent fish being caught. You know, Suggs, on the other hand, he went out and, and uh, ended up putting together a pattern, you know, that was deeper, you know, I think throwing the worm and throwing a big spinnerbait and things like that. But there's there's really a variety of things and techniques that can be used for summertime fishing. Yeah, and I believe, and I like to tell people, fish your strengths. I mean, if you're a shallow water type fisherman, uh, I'm not telling you don't go fish deep. I like to fish deep as well. But you don't have to give up what you do. And if you have zero confidence being out in that deep water, the odds are you're not going to be very successful out there if you don't have any confidence in it. Well, and you know, Bill, one of the things that I found is is deep is really a relative term. You know, if if you're out in some of the the western reservoirs or um, you know what have you, um, you may be fishing 40, 50 foot deep, and that may be considered. Uh, just normal for out there, but yet, you know, you move down south, deep maybe, you know, seven to ten foot off of a channel, whereas shallow, you know, really what are you talking about? Help us define, you know, kind of the, I guess, the definition of, of shallow fishing. Where, where is really the target zone that you're keying in on? I'm targeting anywhere from six inches deep up to about four or five foot deep. I mean, that's where the majority of this time of the year that I'll, I'll spend my time fishing, and that's it, whether I'm fishing reservoirs or I'm fishing in the river. And do you notice, I mean, is there a difference between when you're looking at water that shallow, you know, I, I get a lot of, of feedback of saying that, you know, hey, man, that water temperature is just, you know, it's it's skyrocketing up in the shallows. 
but yet if you can look around you know some some of the maybe a willow tree hanging over or an overhead dock or something like that i mean what are you looking for uh that fish are going to be staging on this time of year you know in that shallow water i'm looking for wood cover most of the time and i'm talking about stumps or land logs is what i'm looking at and i'm looking at ditches and drains is, is what I focus and key on. And when I'm talking about, you know, a lot of people say a ditch, well, what's the difference? And it might only be a six inch difference in, in the water depth, but I'm looking for structure that is basically on the edge is what I'm looking for. So it's just any, uh, whether it be isolated structure or a contour change? Exactly. And I mean, on that contour change, I'm looking for structure that's on that contour change. Okay. So and if you can get the best of both worlds, you know, say a, a piece of pole timber or lay down, you know, that's right on the break, that even sweetens the, the pot a little bit more? That's the best thing. And I, I, I fish a lot of stumps, and I tell people, don't look at, you know, they look at the round dark spot, just the actual base of the tree as a stump. And which is a good piece of structure, but if you look at a stump that's been pulled out of the water when it's extremely low, look at the, the root water, the root fingers, how far out they go. And I catch as many if not more fish on those root fingers than I do actually on the stump itself. So you gotta make sure that you, that you pick the, the structure apart from the outer edges all the way into the thick stuff. Exactly. And I mean, I do a lot of studying on maps, and as well as, you know, your GPSs help you, the maps on those. And then Global Earth has some great websites that you can actually zoom in on a lot of lakes, and you can see some of these drains and stuff out in the middle of these flats. And, and that's a, you said that is a, a website that you utilize? Yeah, it's globalearth.com. And then you just type in your the lake that you want to to pull up or exactly i mean you can pull up your house and you can see your car sitting in the driveway wow wow so then that's part of your pre-fish pre-fishing ritual rather yeah i do a lot of fishing before i ever leave the house okay. and, and then as far as you know bait selection you know you had talked about fishing your strengths and i'm i'm a huge proponent of that i, I believe that you've got to be versatile and you need to know um you know how to apply different techniques but when it comes down to you know putting fish in the boat normally you want to fall back on those strengths is that that kind of your opinion as well exactly and and what is your what would you say your strength for targeting these shallow fishes my strength if i got one bait i'm going to use i'm going to be pitching and flipping okay i like to fish slow and we'll pick pick the structure completely apart but with my practice day i let those fish tell me what they want when you catch a fish, if you're paying attention to what's going on, that fish tells you a story. And if you can pay attention and focus on what all just happened, and I get caught up in the moment that you just caught a fish, and you stay on the trolling motor, and the next thing you know, you're 100 yards down the bank, but focus on where that fish was when you caught it, how that fish bit, and try to imagine how that fish was positioned and what you were doing when that fish bit, and then duplicate that. That's the key. So whenever, you know, as, as fishermen, as anglers of, of wanting to, whether it be recreational or, you know, from a tournament standpoint, you know, we're focused on covering water, catching the next, the next bass. However, you know, oftentimes if we're not paying attention in the moment, we miss those subtleties. Exactly. 
And I've caught limits of fish within a 15 or 20 yard radius where I've watched guys catch a fish and they just stay on the trolling motor and continue down the bank instead of stopping and fishing that area thoroughly. And sometimes you caught the only fish that's there. But a lot of times there's a lot more fish in that one area than what, what you actually realize. And sometimes I've caught as many as two or three different fish off the same stump. Maybe not at the same time. I might be 30 minutes apart, but come back and catch another one on that same stump. So do you come back then during your, say, tournament day or practice day, uh, let's say if it's a tournament in this case, um, you pull the keeper off that and you found to where other fish will move in? Exactly. Or there's multiple fish that live there. And one of the keys that I've done is in this shallow water area, and I'll go down during the week sometimes when there's really no boat traffic, mm -hmm. and I would get out of my boat and walk those edges. And it's amazing. I've fished stumps before that I thought, well, there isn't but six or seven, ten inches of water on that stump. And we'll wade up to that stump, and we'll only be, you know, less than a foot deep. But then when I step right beside of the stump, mm -hmm. I might go into two and a half, three foot of water. And what those fish have done is fan that area out underneath of those stumps, and that's where they live. And then by those root fingers that shoot out, a lot of times you'll be walking along a root finger and do the same thing. Find a hole underneath one of those root fingers that are two or three foot deep there. Well, and I've also noticed that in current situations, you know, to where if you have a, a north and south, you know, facing lay down with a root wad on it, uh, you get to the downside current of that, um, you know, you're going to find that that current alters the topography of what's around, you know, the drop-offs or anything else of what that current does with, with the sediment deposits. Exactly. And pay attention to your surroundings. Pay attention to those bait fish. You know, you see those bait fish coming across, and you see an explosion by those bait fish, and you look at that piece of cover that they're buying, there's a fish there, and there's a reason that fish is there. So last little bit on structure before, because I, I do want to spend some time um, talking about on, on the shallow cranking aspect, but, you know, whenever you're, you're looking at this and we say we do, you know, our pre-fishing, a lot of the pre-fishing before we leave the house, where is a good area to concentrate on to, you know, to, to do some of the shallow time summer, summer fishing that, that we're speaking of? I mean, do we need to look for flats? Do we need to look at, at the upper ends of the tributaries? Um, can, can you help us out there? I fish up the rivers mostly, and I look on the flats, but I look for those drains that's on those flats. I spend a lot of time with the trolling motor looking, and a lot of times I use my rod as a depth finder as well. Sure. And poking around, trying to find that harder bottom that's got some type of a contour. And like I said, a contour don't have to be four or five foot difference in depth. Sometimes it's only six or eight inches. One of my best ditches here at home that I fish is probably about eight inches deeper than the flat. And I've caught numerous fish, you know, in that five to eight pound range on that little edge there. It's just, it's an edge. And I, I compare it to deer hunting. Deer relate to the edge or creatures of the edge, and, and bass are too. Well, you know, I, I heard a comment one time that uh, another angler made to me. He said, you know, 
everyone is about structure, animals and people. You know, if we dropped a, uh, a busload of people off out in the field and there was only one tree or one fence post, uh, chances are, you know, 15 minutes later, there's going to be somebody leaning up against that tree or that fence post, either getting shade or, or just resting themselves by, you know, taking refuge on that cover. And I think that's a great analogy because it's, you know, it's so true and fish are no different. Yeah. And, you know, if you've got a channel swing or you've got a bend, something that, that naturally brings bait fish by, and then you have a piece of cover in that bend as well, I mean, the biggest fish in that area is going to dominate that piece of cover because a, a big fish don't want to spend any energy to go eat. It's going to lay the easiest place it has to get the most food so it don't have to expend any energy. So transitioning now, you know, obviously when you have what I call target fishing and, and you're uh, pitching and flipping to specific uh, stumps and, and, and targets per se, but there's also a great reaction bite that can take place in these exact same you know, high temperature, shallow waters, um, you know, using a, a crankbait. Sure. I mean, that's a, probably the best search bait to, that you can use as a crankbait. And I'm a guy, I don't like to set the hook in practice. I don't like to catch any fish in practice. And when I'm pitching and flipping, I'll cut my hooks off. And when I'm throwing a crankbait, I'll bend the hooks over on it. I don't take the, the hooks off because it changes the action of the bait but I'll bend the hooks over so I can't hook a fish. But in a shallow water situation like that, any type of square bill crankbait that'll bounce off that cover, and you have to hit the cover most of the time. And you get, and those are violent strikes most of the time when you get that. What about colors? You know, I mean, obviously if you're going back through and you're hitting these same targets that you would with a jig or a, or a soft plastic, you know, and, and we're, we're bumping that cover with the square bill, um, does color of crankbait, in your opinion, really, you know, have a lot to do with, with uh, the fish's reaction to, to striking that bait? I don't think so. Myself, personally, I think, you know, you use lights and darks, and the same in plastics. You know, in ultra-clear water, you know, color might play more of a factor. Mm -hmm. But when you're up in the river system, most of the time that water's a little bit more stained, a little dirtier. And, you know, if you've got your fire tiger colors, if it's extremely dirty, or you got your shag colors, that pretty much so covers them. What about as far as, you know, plastic baits, crankbaits versus, you know, wood crankbaits? I like a wood crankbait the best, probably most of all. And the difference there, I mean, you know, what have you found that, you know, what what is the difference in the action or the, you know, what makes a wood, what makes you prefer wood over plastic? They just, they seem like they got better buoyancy to them. And, you know, and no two crankbaits are made the same. And you play around with them and you get one that really catches fish. And if you're a tournament fisherman, or even if you're just a weekend fisherman, you've got that one specific bait that catches fish. Mark that bait a little bit different. That way, if you're just a weekend fisherman, you're out fishing against your buddy, you want to show up a little bit and show off in front of him, put that bait on. Because like I said, no two baits run the same. But the wood baits, to me, they just have a better action uh, as far as a general rule. And then on your your typical square bills, I mean, normally what is the effectiveness of, obviously, you know, starting at, say, six inches, but about how, how deep can you actually, you know, fish with one of those and have success? Uh, really, as deep as shallow or as deep as you want. Mm -hmm. I mean, I throw, a lot of times, I'm trying to catch bigger fish for the most part. 
and I'm throwing it on 17 and 20 pound tests. And I can adjust that one with the, with my retrieve speed, and the other with with my rod angle. If it's if I'm wanting a bait to run shallower, I'll raise my rod tip up. If I'm wanting it to run deeper, I'll put that rod tip down and you know slow it down a little bit too. So you kind of control it and steer it with uh, with your retrieve and both both the rod angle. Yep, and, and I believe in throwing it in the thickest stuff that you can. And I kind of call it finesse cranking. I mean, you can come up to a lay down with tree limbs all over it. And with with a heavy rod and heavy line, and you take your time, and when you're in tune and you can feel what that bait's doing, you got to make sure you can feel what that bait is doing. You can feel the line actually hit the, hit the limb and just walk that bait through those lay down trees. And, I mean, you can get some violent strikes doing that and catch some really good fish. So in, in closing here, is unfortunately we're almost out of time. As far as terminal tackle, you know, the are you using a, a medium heavy rod? Do you prefer gear ratio on your reel? Um, you know, what what's the approach there? I gear ratio. I throw everything the same. It's six point three to one, and I throw most of the time. I'll throw a heavy action rod, heavy to, to super heavy. And fiberglass over graphite, or any difference there? No, I want the most sensitive rod I can I can find. Even on cranking, I want to feel what that bait is doing. What about length? Um, cranking, I'll go six and a half to seven foot. Uh, if I'm pitching and flipping, it's seven, six, one piece all the time. Yeah. Well, great stuff, and I, I think you know, Bill, that you know, it's certainly a time to where in, in the summer that uh, it, it's proven that that fish and big fish will bite even in the heat of the day in shallow water but the other thing you better take care of yourself while you're out there because i know it, you can certainly get dehydrated in a hurry oh, lots of water and lots of sunscreen take care of your body while you're out there well bill i hate to say this but we are out of time and i just uh, i appreciate you sharing with us and kind of shedding some light on uh, you know the opportunities that exist not only for summertime fishing but also breaking some of the fallacies that you know the fish have to be caught deep in the summertime thanks so much for being part of the edge well, thanks for having me on here. I appreciate it. You bet. You know, Aaron, I got to tell you, that was pretty neat. Uh, he sounds like he really knows what he's doing. Well, he does. And, and what I gather from it is, you know, whenever you talk about shallow fish, I mean, it, it is a little bit like he said on the podcast. I mean, it's a little bit of a relative term. But, um, you know, he brings up a good point. He, he shares my opinion in that there's always shallow fish regardless of the time of year. And so many people and anglers, you know, think that when that water temperature is in the, the high 80s and 90s that, you know, that you've automatically got to go deep to catch those fish. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just thought he brought up some tremendous points uh, talking about, you know, the structure on those, those little drop-offs, any wood uh, current situations. And, and uh, I mean, he obviously has the record to prove it. Well, sure, and you know the the way he introduces the technology for people. You know, there's a lot of people out here that don't know about the Google Google Earth or the other uh, topo sites out there that it's free. But boy, you can get some great telemetry on some lakes. Yeah, you can, and it's the the neat thing about it is that especially for lakes that anglers maybe haven't been to or even haven't spent a lot of time on. Um, you know, like like he brought up, you can literally, if you wanted to, you could show your house with your car sitting in your driveway mm -hmm. and just think about what that will do you know for a fishing situation of trying to check out and find some of those areas that he had mentioned uh in the upper rivers or or those channels those creek channels those drop-offs 
you know, you can set, especially right now, you can set in the air conditioning, set on your computer, get all that work done in, in advance so that that way when you hit the water, you're going to be, you know, ahead of the curve when it comes to being in the area where those fish are, are holding. Yeah, well, for tournament fishermen, you know, if you guys are amateurs out there and you want an edge, no pun intended, Aaron, <laughs> uh, that is a great way to get some uh, information that your buddy next door might not have to you on the water. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that I thought that, that after... Um, that he had sent me a, uh, an email after the fact that he forgot to mention was, you know, he talked about having, when, when throwing that square bill crankbait, about having soft hands. And, mm-hmm. you know, instead of putting a death grip on that rod and reel whenever you're flipping or pitching or throwing that crankbait, you really want to make sure that you're not just so clamped down on that because whenever you have that, those soft hands, you, you're able to feel and to react a little bit quicker. So um, I thought he had some great stuff. Well, I got to tell you, in ten years of broadcasting, I have never heard anybody care about the fish more in pre-fishing than he did, with not getting a sore mouth or you know getting those fish uh, tore up before the tournament. That's neat that he uh, practices that. Yeah, you know, and, and part of that is too is um, you know there's two schools of thought on that. Some actually want to choose to catch those fish in practice, um, just to see the type of fish that they're on. But you know, Bill is such to where he is that confident in what he does, to where he knows that if he's getting bit, uh, he can pick it apart enough to, to figure out how to get the bigger fish to bite. But by him bending those hooks over, whether it be on his jig or on his crankbait, um, you know, once once he gets bit, then he knows he's on the right thing, and all he has to do is just go duplicate and find additional areas where um, where he can make that work, you know, to put together a winning stringer for the tournament. Yeah, that's neat. That was a great interview, guys. Yeah. Aaron, i got to tell you, we got to take another break. Folks, keep it right here on The Edge. We'll be right back after a few words from our sponsors. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. All right. Welcome back to The Edge. Thanks to all our sponsors for those fine, good consumer thoughts. I know you appreciate them as much as I do, Aaron. No question. Yep. Couldn't do the show without them. That's right. One of my favorite uh, things about The Edge, folks, is always the Friday giveaway and the listener email. And you ever wonder why you never get drawn? Uh, you know, I don't even put in. <laughs> I, you, I'm so... Those Aaron Martin bobbleheads that you sent me, what else would I want? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, there <laughs> you go. <laughs> you know, unless you come out with an Aaron Martin Chia pet, uh, yeah. then, then, I might have, then I might put in. Yeah, I won't shave for a week, and I'll send you the picture. Oh, you know, there you go. <laughs> you know, honestly, I, I wouldn't want to. I, we're, you and I are both spoiled. We have pretty much everything we could ever want. And, uh, it's always neat to see people get stuff or just you know, contributing to the shows. It is, and you know, the stuff is, it's good stuff, and it's stuff that we feel confident of, of putting our association with, and, and I love when we get feedback, you know, from, from the winners, and they talk about how great the stuff is, so. Yeah, and then, hey, listen, this lucky, uh, this week's lucky email winner is going to be Bill from Waco, Texas, and he's got a special thing coming. You want to tell him about Jay's book? Jay McNamara, who hosts the uh, inside, or I'm sorry, the In the Zone segment on Bass Edge and also writes for FLWoutdoors.com, uh, came out with his first book, of which uh, we are happy to have a, a few of those copies. 
and it's the psychology of exceptional fishing and you know this this book has had rave reviews uh, by everybody that has had a copy of that and uh, believe it or not Dan Borders is actually called uh, and uh, tried to get him to to bring the book there so there's obviously a huge demand but it, it just talks about the you know how big the psychological principles uh, how that affects your fishing day so I'm sure well you know the part where he's in actually talking to the fish and he's saying you have to take responsibility for the bite that you want to have that's right if you're going to sit on that structure you have to bite the hook i mean <laughs> that to me that's just great advice to a fish that's right that's right <laughs> So. Was that not the worst, Dr. Phil, you've ever heard? Oh, that was bad. Well, was bad. What, what are you going to do? So congratulations to Bill from Waco, Texas. And, hey, you have a listener email uh, or a viewer email, however you want to say it, and it is Larry in Kansas, and want to read his question? Yeah, and I, I tell you, this is, a, this is, you know, the questions keep getting better and better, and uh, it states that, says, I fish from a belly boat in a small, in small state and community lakes in Kansas. I'm interested in drop shotting and have a portable depth finder. I've had no luck as of yet. I look for depth changes and drop-offs. Any tips you could provide would be of great help. Thanks and take care. And I believe it or not, I've actually solicited Mike Webb to help me out on this because as, as many of you well know, Mike is uh, definitely an expert in this in this field. But you know, Mike brought up a couple things, and what I want to preempt that with for Larry is, based on the information, you know, if we can get more specific, and I'd love for him to follow up um, and talk about, you know, the depth of water uh, that he's actually trying this in. But we're going we're to take a stab at it and see if we can at least get him pointed in the right direction. But one of the things about a drop shot is, especially if you're using, like, the Nightcrawler-type presentations, like a little worm, um, is that people overwork a drop shot when you're ever, whenever you're fishing that vertically. You know, a, a lot of times those fish will come up, those bass, when they bite, and it's not going, they're not trying to kill it like they would a perch or a minnow or a shad mm-hmm. that's on the end of that. So if you're using that worm, all they're going to do is come up, hit that, and then rise, more or less rise up in the water table. And if that is rigged wacky style, which basically means hooking the bait in the, the center of the bait, like right around that worm sack in, in the case of a, a soft plastic worm, all you've got to do is just barely tap that rod and that thing is going to flex. But if you're jerking that up and down, that's way too much action. So that's, that's going to be one thing that's going to help him actually get um, more, more bites, I should say. But fishing from a belly boat, if you're, if you're trying to um, fish vertically um, and using that drop shot presentation, it can be a little difficult because what happens, like I mentioned before, as those fish hit that bait, they come up. So getting a hook set on them, since you're setting right at water level, um, it can be extremely difficult to get a hookup with them. Now, if you're casting that drop shot, like towards the, the bank and fishing it through grass, that's going to be a little bit easier. But the vertical presentation, that's, that's going to be a little bit of a different challenge. Um, the other thing is from a vertical presentation, especially if you're less than 20 in 20 feet of water, one of the things that Mike had pointed out, you know, when he's fishing, say, 30 to 40 feet vertically, he's actually noticed when he's pulled up on a school of fish that um, you can actually spook those fish in clear water. Well, imagine, you know, if you're in a belly boat and you've got your electronics hooked up and then you've got your flippers and stuff like that, you know, really anything less than 20 feet, it could be the this, this situation to where maybe those fish are being spooked, um, you know, by what's taking place as a result of the belly boat uh-huh. and being right over top of them of being in that. Um, but anyway, bottom line, you know, I think that if as long as you make sure that you're using, you know, fluorocarbon, um, not overworking the bait, 
and it, if you haven't tried working that uh, that bait wacky style, definitely try that. But uh, bottom line is he's in the correct areas, and uh, Larry, if you can send us in some more information, we'll try and even get a little more pinpointed than that. Well, I think that's some great advice. And you know what, folks, don't forget to send in your question or comment, and you will be uh, eligible for the weekly drawing. And all you need to do is simply send an email to podcast at bassedge.com. That's podcast at bassedge.com with your name and address in the body of the email, and you'll be in the drawing. And, uh, Aaron, I can't believe it. We need to take our final break, and when we get back, we're going to join Bass Edge editor Steve Brigman, and I think that's going to be a great interview. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. He's setting the stage for what's yet to come, and this is kind of the icing on the cake. All right, folks, we'll be right back. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's tackle system by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. All right, we are back on the edge, and I am joined by one of Bass Edge's very own, our publishing editor, Mr. Steve Brigman. Steve, hey, thanks so much for being part of the edge. Hey, it's great to be here. I'm having a good time. You know, Steve, uh, one of the the exciting things that's taking place right now is, was the addition of yourself uh, joining the you know the Bass Edge crew, and, and there's going to be a lot of exciting things that's coming up in, in future Edge podcasts with the information, some of the interviews that you've done with some of the manufacturers and that, but before we get into some of that, how in the world did you get into the outdoor industry? Well, I'm an old newspaper guy. Uh, went to journalism school, was a start off as a cop reporter, worked my way up uh, to be a managing editor for, for uh, a paper in Texas, and... Uh, uh, and but all during that time, I always made sure that I had good. I was good friends with the sports editor, and that allowed me to uh, write outdoor stories. Uh, the motivation back in those days, for one thing, I enjoyed doing it. I, I loved to hunt and fish. I grew up with the rod and reel in my hand, and uh, the motivation there was was to, uh, I suppose, go fishing and 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 make an excuse that it's work you know this and uh and so i've always written in that way and you know it was a few years ago that uh i had set this goal of of uh, that's what i want to do that's what i really want to do i want to write about the outdoors i love the outdoors i want to hunt and fish and so uh and so finally i broke away out of the newsroom and i went out and i did it uh i went full-time as a freelancer and it's been almost five years now so explain, you know, when you when you think of walking away, let's say out of the newsroom, uh, you know, I, I compare that in the fishing industry of walking away from your job to actually pursue uh, tournament fishing, let's say. But you know, in journalism, a freelancer, explain how that how that works. As a newspaper editor, I work for the newspaper. I got, I got an eight to five job, and it, which actually the newspaper is usually more hours than that, but. Uh, I, I work out of my home. I'm a free agent. I work for for a number of different people. I do a number of different things. I write for some magazines, and I've written for. I have a weekly newspaper column, and uh, uh, and now I've, I've got this amazing new opportunity to come work with Bass Edge, which 
which has sort of uh, allowed me to sort of stick my nose into into the podcast field and the in the television field, and and of course, uh, my primary responsibility here is going to be to uh, uh, work with the website, and uh, and so you know as a freelancer you you. Uh, uh, you're a free agent. You're working for who you know, whoever's paying, basically. Sure. But uh, but there's a certain freedom for that. But uh, uh, it's not for the financially faint, faint at heart. <laughs> it's it's a uh, it's a uh, uh, you know it's a contract to contract business. And, well, and, and you're you're kind of your own marketing agent. You're your own business manager, so to speak. I mean, you know, well, you got to make it happen. Well, oh yeah, absolutely, you are, and you know, and, and that's the hardest part of of getting started, and that is selling yourself, selling your stories, and and uh, uh, and I would suspect that, that it was that way when before Bass Age became the the the, the show that it is that uh, it was uh, it was more difficult to 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 uh, to sell it than say uh, now that you've demonstrated some success. Oh, no question. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think that's why we're so excited that, uh, that you've joined us. I mean, I think you've got something, I mean, I, I know you're humble, but I want to bring this up something over 70 some awards that you've won in the, in the outdoor industry and, and you're very, very respected, but you know, it's going to help us drive the mission. I get called a lot of things, but seldom humble. I, <laughs> I tell you, I, I couldn't be more excited. Uh, it's talking to to you and Don Hertz, the the, the uh, founders and the owners of the company. It's very clear that, that the quality of this product is so important to you, and that and that you have some trust in me to to, to contribute to that. And, to, and and of course, when I came in, you had shot a season, and I was just, I, you know, I I just really enjoyed watching those first shows. And thought, man, I, I want to be a part of that. And uh, and, and now we're proceeding on to uh, uh, develop the website. You, you guys had a great website when I got here, but you know, I, I'm here to do the best I can to put put the information out there. And uh, uh, you know, it's just a great platform for me to do what I do. So, what do you see on the horizon? I know you've got some ideas that that you've kind of. I don't want to say kept under the radar screen even with us, but I, you know, I know you well enough to know that that you've got some things lurking out there. You know, can you give us a little teaser of, of what to expect of what's coming up? Well, it's gonna it's gonna be a lot more of, uh, of 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 say the model that you guys have set, information and entertainment. Uh, I've been around a little while. I've been around this business long enough to to have some relationships with some of the really top writers. Uh, I know a lot of the anglers, and uh, we're going to have, uh, there's going to be, you're going to learn a lot about bass fishing from our website, whether you just bought your first baitcaster or whether you've, you know, won one of the one of the big tournaments. Uh, we're going to give you information on destinations. We're going to talk to you. You're, you're going to enjoy some of the people that we have coming in. We want to make sure it's entertaining. We're going to throw a little humor in there. We're going to have a good time along the way. We're going to teach you, and we are going to enjoy it. We're going to enjoy doing it, and if we do it well, you're going to enjoy. Uh, you're going to enjoy learning. Well, and I think that fits, you know, perfectly with uh, with the mission statement of being the premier provider of of education related to to bass fishing. You know, I know you just returned. Uh, you spent. Uh, several days there in, in Vegas at ICAST, and I know in, in the weeks to come we're going to get to hear on some of those interviews and some of those opportunities that you had 
you know, the chance to, to really talk about innovative stuff that's, that's taking place. Um, can you give us a little hint on, on what the market is doing out there? And, of course, we'll follow up then with the inter- other interviews. But can you talk about trends? Yeah, you know, there seem to be a couple of things. Uh, first of all, ICAST is this amazing show, and, and that's where anything new comes in. Yeah, let's talk with about ICAST. I mean, some of our listeners may not even know what ICAST actually is. Well, you know, uh, it's, ICAST, it's basically the premier fishing show. It's the trade show. Yeah. It is the trade show every year. If you've got a new product coming out on the market, you introduce it at ICAST. All of the outdoor press is there. Every manufacturer is there. Uh, it is the place to get just a uh, a snapshot of of the state of fishing. It is the state of art of fishing. Is uh, and you know this year you see all kinds of things. And, and and frankly, you see you know I'm I'm a little cynical in some ways. I mean I think. Uh, a potato shaped a different way still still matches the same, but and so you see a lot of things that that are, that are supposedly new that that aren't, don't seem particularly different. But then on the flip side, you see just some incredible things. They've got rods made out of carrots now, and 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 just just a number of amazing things. I think some of the trends. One of the most dominating trends I saw was this. Uh, Manufacturers starting to pay more attention to children and women. Man, I've never seen so many pink fishing rods in my life. And and I'm not sure that that's necessarily uh, a good thing or where it's going, but manufacturers are starting to pay a lot more attention to making rods and reels, uh, you know, anatomically usable by smaller, younger people, uh, by women. Uh, I think uh, other trends uh, there's a lot of attention being paid to uh, the environment there's a lot of people out there when they make their products and they market their products they bring to the table why their product is uh, better for the environment for instance there's a worm out there that uh, uh, made made by a company a, a it's called the ironclad worm that is I couldn't break it I could not pull this plastic worm apart and part of their theme there was that we 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 dump 30,000 tons of worms in the lake a year so right. a crazy number like that and that this worm in, in saving us money and being an effective product and letting us cast more it's got an environmental uh, advantage and the more that the sport grows the more popularity and the more you know that's out there that's that's certainly a very viable concern i mean you know water is, is a precious commodity and so is our fish i mean those natural resources are quite frankly if they're not here i mean our sport goes away absolutely and and recruitment of young people into the outdoors and is is might be the most important issue that all of us as an, an outdoorsman have today uh well and how do you see and let me i know i don't want to change gears on you but how do you see you know that that's really the void that you've been brought in to help us with is you know you have the average angler is becoming more and more educated then you have this whole new regime of these beginning anglers you know how do you provide something for everybody to make sure that we're hitting you know across that that demographic basis 
you roll up your sleeves and you work hard. We, we, that is something we absolutely have to do because all of those people are out there. We have to provide information to the very top, to the top pros. You know, I, I get an opportunity to cover tournaments, and I'll tell you what, the best guys out there, they're some of the first ones to ask and learn and try to learn. You know, I know that uh, uh, one of our top anglers hired our own Mike Webb to take him out and to teach him how to use electronics in in uh, fish on this lake. And, and, and this guy's won. He's, he's in the Million Dollar Club. Uh, but then on the other hand, we've got to have something in there for the, for the youngsters. One incredibly important group out there is single moms. Uh, women who have never fished before. Uh, weren't introduced to it as, as as children and hadn't been in their adult life, but they have sons and daughters that they want to enjoy uh, the outdoors, and they want to educate themselves to uh, Pass to, to be able to take their kids fishing. <clears throat> you know, that's a great point. I I, I never forget. A couple of weeks ago, I did an interview, a podcast on this on on the edge. It was with Cindy Hill, and she and through our stories and our dialogue, you know, I kept bringing up that I was introduced. To the sport of fishing by my dad and she said you know she stopped me on about the third time and she said Aaron she said do you realize what you're saying she said you keep saying that you were introduced to the sport by your dad she said I never knew my dad so I was introduced to the sport thankfully by my mom because for some reason which was way out of her you know generation of what was accepted then she took the time to teach me that skill and you know in closing as we're kind of wrapping up I think that's really where the challenge is going to be for our whole industry and not just Bass Edge. You know, we've got to make sure that we are delivering on all layers. And, and, and as individuals, we need to take it upon ourselves to. Like, the little boy down the street that doesn't get to go fishing, when you take your son fishing, have him invite. Invite your friend across the street who looks over at you when you're casting in the front yard or, or cleaning your boat. Take people fishing. Teach people to be fishing. It's good for them, and it's good for us. No doubt, no doubt. And I think, you know, Steve, unfortunately we're out of time, but I think it's going to be an extremely, extremely exciting year, uh, not only for Bass Edge, and we are so tickled that you are here, but also just for the Bass Edge community. I'm excited to be here. It's good. We're going to have a good time. It's going to be a fun ride, and I'm ready to go to work. Well, um, fortunately, you know, we we chose when you went out to ICAST on a lot of the interviews that you did. Instead of releasing all those and being in the you know the mayhem of everybody else releasing a lot of that same information, we're going to be interjecting those throughout uh, the course of the year. That way, when we see relevant, it's going to be timely information. We're very excited to hear some of the innovative things that, that you've got to talk about. Some amazing products. I, I think you'll enjoy it. Steve, thanks so much for being part of The Edge. Hey, it's great to be here. You know, Steve brought up some great points there, Aaron, and it's really neat to hear that the fishing industry is looking in the future towards the kids, and I think that's so important. Yeah, I mean, uh, for this sport to continue, um, any outdoor sport for that matter, we have got to focus on creating that experience for uh, for the kids and the, and the next generation. And I think the other thing that I really got a lot out of that is, and I'm encouraged by, is just the environmental concerns of where the industry is taking that. So it's going to be great. I think those interviews that uh, will be coming out in the next next couple of weeks, man, people are going to be taken back by, by what he discovered. And then also what's taking place with, uh, with Bass Edge and what he's doing with the website and some of those things. And he's very, very adamant to make sure that we're reaching our goals of getting as much quality information through all of the different things that Bass Edge has going on to make sure that you know our listeners and viewers are, are prepared when they hit the water.
Absolutely. And, folks, if you ever get a chance to go to a trade show, do it. I mean, most of these consumer shows, you can get in, uh, especially if you know somebody that's in the industry. And you're going to see things that's just going to blow your mind as far as some of the prototypes they have coming out there that are stuff that's going to be marketed in five to six years ahead from now. And not only that, but people want their, their, your input for the average consumer. They want to know what your thoughts are so they know how to reach in the years to come. And, you know, Aaron, it's, it's kind of a two-way street on that stuff. It, it really is, and that's really one of the reasons why, you know, when ICAST happens or any of the, the other trade shows, you know, the SHOT Show in the hunting industry and, and those type of things, you know, there's such a, a, a media um, frenzy as far as what took place in the the week or two after those events, and that's really one of the reasons why we chose to kind of cherry pick uh, some of that information that was coming out and hold off on dumping that information out to to our listeners um, because we just feel that it's 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 information that they need to to have in their hands and uh, kind of have have their approach and our opinion on it and then be able to take action on it versus it just being lost in the shuffle with all the other information that's out there. Sure. What do you got going on next week? Are you going to be hitting the water, or are you landlocked again? No, I'm, I'm actually I'm going to stay landlocked uh, probably for next week, and then after that, then we'll be getting out there and, and getting moved around. But uh, you know, we're trying to get everything positioned moving forward for uh, for season two and next tournaments down at Amistad um, in the latter part of September. So looking forward to that. It's down on the Texas border, uh, so that'll be a great great tournament. Well, there you go. And I actually get to head out next week and go uh, antelope hunting in Wyoming. So I'll be in a Water hole, setting up uh, on a, in a ground blind, sweating. Bow or my, gun. It's going to be crazy. You going to do that with your bow or with your uh, gun? You know me, man. I'm, yeah. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, a, even I'm a bow aficionado. There you go. So I'll be out there with a mighty pronghorn for the next week. So I'll be thinking of you looking at that water all day. There we go. <laughs> yeah. So there. Well, folks, I can't believe it. We're out of time again. And uh, don't forget, uh, next week when we come back, we're going to be talking with Kurt. And he's going to have some great interviews from the ICAST show in Vegas that Aaron just told you about. We're also going to be giving away another great prize, and we're going to read a listener email. In the meantime, make sure you visit us at www.bassedge.com. Check out those Aaron Martin Chia pets. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk to you next week for Aaron. Aaron, thank you, sir. Hey, thank you, Dan. So much fun. All right, pal. For Aaron Martin, this is Outdoors Dan saying thanks for listening to The Edge, and we'll see you all next week. This week's edition of Bass Edge's The Edge has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches. Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Locker Bar Boat Security Systems, and MegaWare Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com.